Well, hello, pitches. Welcome back to Pitch Slapped. This is the fan made Pitch Perfect podcast. My name is Kaylee Hillier. I just love Pitch Perfect so much. I made a podcast about it. Now, we've done a lot of podcasts recently about fan fiction. We had all the horror stuff that we've gone through and everything like that. That this week I thought, you know what? Let's delve into the movies because this is where it all came from. And so we're just going to take a small section of the movie. This week to talk about, we're going to talk about The Sign, the first Bard and Bella song that we see in Pitch Perfect 1. We've also got some highlights from fan fiction to go through. And of course, our actor news is next. In actor news, Hayley Steinfeld announced that Dickinson is returning with season two. And that is going to be out on January the 8th on Apple TV we get to see Emily Dickinson back. It is a bit weird that Hayley Steinfeld has played two characters that are both called Emily. Just throws my mind off a little bit. But I am excited to see more from Dickinson season two. I still need to get through the first season, so I need to catch up a little bit. Also, Love Life will be returning for a second season. Anna Kendrick is an executive producer on the show. They have said that characters from season one will appear during season two. We might see them every now and then. But they got a new lead actor and it will be William Jackson Harper. You probably know him from The Good Place. He played Chidi. And I'm actually quite intrigued to see him in a different role. Because to me, he is Chidi. I'm excited to see how this goes. And I kind of hope that Anna makes like a little appearance in there somewhere. Watch this space. Brittany Snow has announced that she is a keynote speaker at the Creative Cultivates CC Social Good Summit. That's happening on November the 14th. The summit itself has a number of experts and workshops and things that you can get involved in, including panels, diversity and inclusion, sustainability. And she will be there with her co-creator of September Letters, discussing mental health, the importance of dogs female empowerment and her love-hate relationship with social media and if you check out her instagram account she has put a code on her instagram if you check the picture about this event you can see the code and use that to get the free tickets and if you've been checking out anna camp's instagram stories she slipped in there a little announcement she will be on an episode of creep show tv that's streaming on shudder and she's gonna be part of a holiday special happening on December the 18th. I don't know that much about it, but all she says that it's about to get really creepy. So if you want to know more about Creepshow TV, their summary says, it's a new anthology series based on the 1982 horror comedy classic. It's still the most fun you'll ever have being scared. A comic book comes to life in a series of 12 vignettes over six episodes, exploring terrors from murder to the supernatural and the inexplainable. Haunted dollhouses, werewolves, murderous goblins, villainous trick-or-treaters, the dead and mental marvels are just a few of the things to watch out for in this new series. You never know what will be on the next page. And obviously she will be in a kind of celebrity special of that. Who knows how it's going to go. You'll have to check out on December the 18th. That's it for our acting news this week. It's time to get into I Saw the Sign. 
Now, when you first watch Pitch Perfect, especially when you watched it for the first time, the movie starts, the trebles have their song, and the first impression you get of the Bard and Bellas is when they step out onto that stage. Obviously, Chloe and Aubrey are there, and their first song is The Sign by Ace of Bass. When you first saw this in the movie, when you watch the movie for the first time and you're thinking, okay, yeah, this is a singing movie, you don't know much about it, maybe you haven't really heard that much, you're not entirely sure what to expect. You've just seen The Troubles knock it out of the park with Don't Stop the Music, and then the Bard and Bellas come out and they do this song. What was your first impression? It's not a bad song. It's not a song that I particularly enjoy. But as I have been doing research about this online, it does seem that there's quite a few people who do like the sign by Ace of Base. It's not really my thing. Also, whenever I've done gigs and you delve into kind of 80s, 90s stuff, 90s is becoming more popular to play. It's getting old enough now where it can be a proper nostalgic moment and you can have that throwback from the 90s. But I would never play Ace of Base. It's never one that I'm going to pick out and play. I mean, if I'm going to go cheesy, you might go Shania Twain, or you would hit the boy band and girl band eras, you might do some Britney Spears, Spice Girls. I mean, if I'm going to go really cheesy, then I would bring out like Wigfield, Saturday Night, or Gina G or something like that. Or like Delight, Groovers in the Heart, stuff like that. Ace of Bass is not a band that I'm going to pick out. And although this is probably one of their more recognised songs, still... I don't know what it is about it, it's just a little bit of a cringy song. So when I first saw Pitch Perfect and this song was the song that they were singing and I was just like, why? I think also you don't get to see the other songs in the setlist till a little bit later on. And I have played some of the other songs in the setlist before, like Eternal Flame. And all of them were just a bit like, what an odd choice. You could have gone for a Mariah number, Whitney Houston would have been okay. Ace of Bass? Okay. But looking online, this was actually quite a big song of the era, especially when it came out. It seems to be that a number of people really, really like it still. I obviously never hit that, but this is a real thing. I would love to know if you like the song Ace of Bass, the sign, and what was your impression seeing this for the first time when you watched Pitch Perfect? I think especially also when you're watching the trailers and stuff and you know the age of the girls and it's based in college, like, you're not expecting them to play something like The Sign. It's not of the age group. There are bigger songs you could have picked from the era. It's such an odd choice. And yet that is the song that you get to have your first impression of the Bard and Bellas. The whole image that you get of this first impression of this a cappella group, completely opposite to what the tribal makers were doing. And it's a real interesting difference between them. Although the tribal makers do have their jackets, they're a little bit more casual and they do seem to be a lot more up to date where there is a very kind of rigid set way with the bellas, almost a very traditional kind of throwback in the costumes and the way they do their hair and they've got their scarves around their necks. Obviously we know that a lot of that is set on the traditions that the Bellas have and stuff. But I do have to judge Alice for the pick of the sign by Ace of Base. Just a, just an odd choice. I just find it an odd choice to go with. 
it's also hilarious that you you don't get the rest of their set just for the fact that Aubrey throws up. So you kind of get lulled into this weird place because they're singing the sign by Ace of Bass. And then to throw you off even more because they've changed the tone of how the night's gone. The trebles have just wrapped it right up with a big, strong poppy number. And then they go in with this kind of lighter, fluffy, cheesy number. And then Aubrey throws up. It just completely throws you off even more. It's so different from the song they're singing. I mean, it's just so good. This song, I don't know how many times you hear it in the movie, but this is the song that you're going to hear multiple times. Not just like once or twice. No, they sing the sign a heck of a lot in the film. So just give us a little bit of context around the sign. I thought I'd do a little bit of uh, research into it get an understanding of the song because obviously it's now part of Pitch Perfect in a big way. This is the song that we hear so much and also it kind of just becomes like the anthem that everything is based off of coming forward. Becca fighting against the traditions, you know, when she does her mashup, it's to this song. So what do we know about the sign by Ace of Bass? It was released at the end of 1993. And Ace of Bass is a Swedish pop group. And Ace of Bass was kind of credited for bringing Swedish music back into international recognition after ABBA. And which is kind of a funny way of looking at it because Ace of Bass also has four members like ABBA, two guys and two girls. I don't know whether or not this is just a precedence that they set with groups coming out of Sweden, but um, clearly those are the ones that seem to kind of break into the international realm. The song itself is known as techno reggae as a genre. Obviously, it's kind of poppy, but it's got a techno reggae vibe to it. Just to give you an inkling into its popularity, it reached number two in the UK charts and spent six non-consecutive weeks at number one on the US Billboard charts, making it the top song on the Billboard end of year chart in 1994. Although it was released late in 1993, it kind of made its big movements in 1994. It also reached number one in a number of countries, including Australia, Canada, Germany, Denmark, Finland, Spain, New Zealand, Israel and Zimbabwe. So it got pretty like big around the world and it received a Grammy nomination for the best pop performance by a duo or group with vocals. So this was a big song in the 90s. Sometimes I often think it's an 80s song, but it's not. It's a 90s song. And kind of similar to ABBA, often it's the two girls that sing most of the vocals in the songs. I'm not entirely sure what the guys did, but they're there. Ace of Bass is also known for songs like All That She Wants and Don't Turn Around. Now, apparently the song itself, especially in the chorus, is quite difficult to sing as a solo. So they split it so that the two girls could almost sing it like a duet. Not that it is a duet, but that's just the way they chose to sing the song according to the internet. And the actual song itself is apparently about a couple contemplating the state of their relationship and deciding to split up. So it's a breakup song. If you want to read more into that, you can. I mean, it's two girls singing a breakup song. Just saying. So that gives us like a good context into the Ace of Bass design. It's also kind of influenced a number of other artists who have gone on to create music. According to Vulture, 
Katy Perry talked about the influence that the sign had in her music when she was recording Teenage Dreams. They quoted her saying, I'm kind of thinking that I want to do my record like a mash between Love Fall by the Cardigans and the sign by Ace of Bass. I want to make songs that people want to hold hands and roller skate to. Teenage Dream was such a big Katy Perry song. Katy Perry Teenage Dream was kind of big when I was doing like school discos, that kind of age group when it came out. And it's it's a song that you can sing along to. It's very easy to pick up the words. It's memorable. Such a big song by Katy Perry. And knowing that songs like The Sign influenced it is fascinating. So I, I was trying to do some digging into why they would have picked Ace of Bass as the song of choice for Pitch Perfect One. There's not a lot out there, but I did find an interview with Jason Moore by Entertainment Weekly on the internet. They interviewed the director for Pitch Perfect One, Jason Moore, and the supervisors for the music, Julianne Jordan and Julia Michaels. And this is what they said about their pick of the sign. They said, Ace of Bass's 1993 pop ditty, I Saw the Sign, ended up being the song that epitomised the Bellas' drab, old-school ways. But an earlier draft of the script reached further back into the music history for the group's set lists. The original old-fashioned song for the girls was 1954's Mr Sandman. Nobody in 2011 knows that song, Moore says. So we went back to the 90s when those kids would have been six. That's how we ended up with Ace of Bass. That was our version of a lame song, even though it's kind of an awesome song. That quote in itself just kind of blew my mind a little bit. Could you, like, could you imagine, instead of being I Saw the Sign, the first impression of the birds was them singing Mr. Sandman. <laughs> I, I can't imagine it. It, was, it just sounds so odd. That song itself, you could do the harmonies to. I've seen it done with Mr. Sandman, you know, barbershop quartet, stuff like that. But the idea that for a college a cappella group to do a song like that, I don't know, like it was just such an odd idea. And I think now after seeing the movie and falling in love with it, it sounds so odd that I saw the sign wouldn't have been the, the song pick for that moment, that it could have been Mr. Sandman. I feel like it would have been a completely different feel to the film if they had done that. So it's kind of nice that they didn't go as far back as the 50s, that they kind of went to the 90s. It's kind of cool that they were alive when the song came out. He says they would have been around six years old when that song came out. And it does make you wonder, was this Alice's choice of song? Did Alice choose the Ace of Bass, I Saw the Sign as part of her set list, or was this a precedent set up before she became captain? Because clearly, like, Aubrey's sticking to that set list. She's not changing it. And it got me thinking because they sing it so often in Pitch Perfect One. I dread to think how many times the girls had to learn that song or had to sing that song. Because out of all the songs, this one appears at least three times in the film, if not more. And when I was thinking about the girls and the fact that they would have had to have learnt this song and sung it so many times, not only to rehearse it and get it down, but then you also have the different versions. So you've got the first Bellas where Aubrey and Chloe are juniors. They're doing slightly different parts than they do in their senior year. Then you've got them singing it with their new set of Bellas 
You've got Becca's mix to the song with Bulletproof that she does in the semi-finals. They would have had to have sung this song and done so many takes with this song. Do you think that they ever got fed up of singing it? All the other songs in the film are only featured once, really. This song is featured a number of times. As I was digging around, I found this really old quote by Anna Kendrick. Now, this quote I found on a website called theultimaterabbit.com and they quoted it as being from an interview, but the original interview is no longer online. So you can take that as you would. They have a link for it on there, but it doesn't work anymore. And looking online, I've tried to get to that article. I just can't find it. But this is what they said on theultimaterabbit.com. This is what they quoted. Of course, Pitch Perfect did have its drawbacks for Kendrick, especially when it came to singing pop songs like The Sign by Ace of Bass over and over again. Having sung this song so much, she hopes to never hear it again, as it now haunts her dreams. She did, however, look at singing Miley Cyrus's song, Party in the USA, as being important to Becca's evolution in the film. Just a little inkling there as to uh, the fact that, obviously, after doing this song so often, maybe you don't want to hear it again. And let's be fair, Anna Kendrick probably didn't hear it as much as Anna Camp or Britney Snow. They would have had to do an even more because they had the first take with the old Bellas. I dread to think how much they would have sung it. So if we just take a little look into the movie itself... Not only do we get our first impression of the Bellas, but you also get to see Aubrey and Chloe's relationship. If you just look at that first scene of the movie, there's so many like great moments of eye contact between the two of them, which I think you only really get if you watch the film more than once, because clearly that's what I do with my life. It's because you know what's coming for Aubrey, and so watching that scene again and seeing the hopefulness that she's got, her nerves, Chloe just buy some eye contact just trying to make sure she's okay she's really like happy for her friend but also nervous because she knows what Aubrey's like when she's nervous you also have this little heartbreak because you know what's going to happen to Aubrey in about a minute and a half the song itself in that first scene I think is about one minute ten seconds something like that it's only that's the only impression you get of the original Bellas before Aubrey throws up so when they kind of get ready and they go onto the stage you can see how excited and nervous Aubrey is, but also her longing to have this moment and do it right. I find myself cringing. It's so sad. Especially when she's happily skipping. Like, she gets so into it. She's got so much energy and joy when she takes the microphone and gets into her moment until it all goes wrong. And I do feel as well, when you watch that clip... I feel like because it's kind of a cheesy song, they've got their flight attendant outfits on. They're kind of projecting this very traditional look about them. For me, it almost harkens back to the 50s, 60s. There just seems to be this whole cheesiness with the Bellas that you don't get with the Trebles. The the Trebles do seem to be quite up to date, whereas even from the outfits, the, the Bellas seem to be stuck in a moment. They're very rigid, they're very clean cut. One question I did have, though, about the Bellas when I was watching that clip, the fact that they walk out with their hands on their hips. They're so rigid. Why? Why do they need to do that? I can't remember if they do that for every time when the new Bellas come on, but with that scene with Alice, they literally do come on with their hands on their hips. I don't know, they're trying to project this persona as soon as they come on stage. What I think is quite interesting with this song as well 
I don't really find there to be a slow build-up with the sign. It just kind of starts. Obviously, we don't get to see the whole set list play out. It's such a stark contrast to the Troublemakers where they have this kind of slow build-up with the song. They've got very simple choreography. They kind of stay in position, especially for that part of the song. It does seem to be really focused on their singing. Which, be fair, let's be fair, they sing very well. Alice is obviously the first singer and she passes it over to Aubrey. I do enjoy the fact that some of their actions and dance moves go along with the lyrics of the song. Like, they're all sort of in this formation, singing along. And, like, they draw a sign when they're singing about the sign and they kind of raise their hands to the sky when they're talking about opening up their eyes. It just oozes this cheesiness that you get with the sign. And Aubrey's energy when she gets her moment and she starts skipping across the stage just adds to the whole bit just before she throws up. And also, like, she does have this whole sense of joy when she gets that microphone and then you're like, oh no, <laughs> it's not going to end well. And I remember when I first watched it and I was I was watching this moment, I remember thinking as Aubrey was going across the stage, like, are we literally going to watch this whole song go through? Because it wasn't as energetic as what we had seen previously. Aubrey looked way too happy to be singing a song like The Sign. And then just as you're kind of lulling into, okay, yeah, we're singing this song, they're going to play it out, Aubrey throws up. And that just throws you well off what you thought was going to happen. That's such a shocking moment. It throws you right off. It's almost like they make a statement right there that, hey, we're not sticking with the rules and this film's going to be a little bit quirky and different. That's when you kind of stop and you sit up a little bit and you're like, I'm intrigued now. Show me what you've got because clearly I was not expecting anything that just happened. And for me, that that's why The Sign is quite an important song because it is your first impression of the Bellas, but at the same time, because of what happens, it's so cheesy and such an odd choice, and yet Aubrey seems slightly obsessed with it throughout the movie, and because you get so thrown off after a, like one minute, ten seconds, or however long they sing this song for, to flip the script, this is what this film is like, come and embrace it with us, and that is what you do, then you just fall in love. And it just makes me think just how important all of the song choices were in the movie. And I've seen it referenced before, the fact that they often were changing songs or choosing new bits, the songs weren't necessarily set, that that was the song that they settled on to introduce you to the Bard and Bellas. Well, I think it's about time we delve into uh, our fan fiction highlights. Having a look at some fan fiction this week, there's been quite a few new ideas floating around that just caught my imagination. And I love the variety that I've read recently. Starting off, I'm probably going to say this wrong, but it's Philophobia by Becca's Belt. We are sticking with the horror just for this fic before we move on. The summary says, you just had to read the creepy book, didn't you, Beale? Becca and Chloe must face their deepest fears after finding a magic book at the library. Together they must defeat their inner demons, learning new things about themselves and each other along the way. This one just kind of caught my imagination. It was made after Halloween, but it was really nice to kind of see a horror fic that wasn't tied to anything. It was just something they came up with. This is kind of a cute story. I want to say it's a cute story. It's also just slightly odd 
And this is what I love about people who kind of throw these characters in completely different situations or weird scenarios. It's just seeing your favourite characters doing something a little bit different, having to face something or a different scenario for them to face. And although this is set in and around Barden, they kind of sneak into the library at night and end up finding this magic book. Becca and Chloe, I found them really funny in this fic. And although there's a load of tense moments, there's also some really light-hearted moments as you go along with it. One of my favourite bits, I don't want to kind of give too much away, but was just the fact that most of this is happening because of Chloe. Like, <laughs> Chloe's, like, fear as they begin to unravel what's happening to them and how this all came to be... Chloe has to kind of admit what her fear was and to watch kind of Becca just go, this is your fault, is so good. <laughs> and I love the way that the author had chosen to do the story because they could have like stretched it out, but they kind of do each fear one after the other. And there are some moments where it's genuinely quite worrying because you get worried they're going to they're gonna die. I do want to say though that I dread to think what, happened to that library when they left because clearly there's a load of mess that whoever opens that library in the morning is just going to be like what the heck happened here <laughs> i don't think they're together when this fit is going through the motions so it's really interesting to see them both reacting to what the fears are and what's happening but then also want to look after each other and make sure that each other are okay. And what really, really interests me was especially about the title. As the fic plays out and you get near the end, when Becca's fear comes to light, it's a really interesting twist how everything plays out. And it gets like really creepy for a second when the fear plays itself out and you see that manifesting itself in front of Becca. And it's kind of a little bit heart-wrenching seeing this happen. And the aftermath of that as well with Chloe and Becca trying to understand what's happened, trying to reconcile what they've seen and what that could have revealed about themselves to each other. The second story that I wanted to highlight is called What Is This? by HRM Dream. It's available on AO3 and the summary says a high schoolish AU one-shot no one asked for where Becca is a high school senior and Chloe is a Barden University junior. I just want to say, when I read this story, I fell in love with it. It was awesome. I'm always interested with things around high school AUs, like, there's a lot of them being done, how is it going to be any different to what you've already read? But this one was so good. And I think one of the reasons why I enjoyed it so much was the way in which they had taken elements from Pitch Perfect 1 and thrown it into this story. And it's almost like you're reading Pitch Perfect 1 but in a different universe. The elements are there, the little moments that harken to the movie, it's so clever how this author's done it, it's kind of giving you a refreshing take on a different way of retelling the Pitch Perfect One story. It's just so clever how it plays into the timeline of Pitch Perfect, you know, Chloe being a junior means, yes, Becca would have been a high school senior at that time, ready to then go on if she's then going to go to to uni or college or to LA or whatever, and how she's trying to move her career along with her music, Chloe at Barden in her acapella group. So you get all the characters are kind of floating around in some ways. I love how Luke is in it a little bit more and 
him and Benji are like brothers. One of my favourite moments in the whole fic was Aubrey's entrance and introduction into the story where she's having an argument with Alice and I won't give too much away but it's such a good dramatic scene which is slightly hilarious at the same time. And part of me almost feels like that wouldn't be what Aubrey would do but at the same time I love the passion in it and the fact that what they end up doing I could see that happening. It was so good. The story is its own story in its own right but the more that I clicked on to little inklings that the author had done connecting it to Pitch Perfect One and the story of Pitch Perfect One and I was drawing them out of the story my mind would then run with it and just be like I wonder how they're going to play this out how are they going to do the semi-final scene and the fallout with Becca how's that going to happen or how is they going to bring everything back together at the end all these moments are all played out but in different ways and that kind of kept me on the edge of my seat as I was reading it because I really wanted to see how they were creatively going to tell this story. And my final story this week is No Need for Concern. Healthy lifestyles are overrated anyway by iPhone. Chloe is on a health kick and she wants to bring Becca along for the ride. Becca hates Chloe's selected health guru. It's such a simple one shot and it sounds like such a simple idea. And yet because of that, it was a thoroughly enjoyable read because they threw a whole bunch of humour in there into these situations with these characters that you thoroughly love and enjoy. It's obviously a Chloe story and they have an established relationship. And what I loved is knowing these characters so well and the author knowing them so well just meant that they could really play off of that and play off of their relationship. And you get this whole sense of humour that comes along with it. And it was really lovely just to have a humorous the Chloe story. When you find out who the health guru is, that just adds a whole other element to this story. And it's hilarious. I loved it. And as soon as I found out who the health guru was, I was like, man, this this is so much potential right here. I couldn't wait to find out how this is all going to kind of blow up. Because these characters are so well known, it's really comforting sometimes when you read a story that really brings out those elements that you love. I loved a flirty Chloe who knows how to get Becca under her thumb and just use her pouting and puppy dog eyes to get her to come along with something. Becca being her typical self. And then Becca just like deliberately not wanting to do stuff, like it's not her thing. But Chloe can get her to do it anyway. This is the great thing. I don't know why Becca lets herself get into these situations. <laughs> it's not a long story, but the ending was just so enjoyable to read. Clearly, Chloe not only knows how to get Becca under her thumb, but she also kind of knows Becca's limits. And when Becca kind of reaches that, she still loves Becca anyway, and she kind of lets Becca get away with stuff. It's fantastic. So this one was a lot of fun to read. Those are my selections this week for fan fiction. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast today. I hope you enjoyed it. And especially our delve into The Sign by Ace of Bass, the song that we hear so much in the movie. If you want to keep up with the podcast, obviously click subscribe, follow us along with this journey that we're on. You can also follow me on our social media pages. We are on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and Tumblr as pitch slapped pod and of course you can let me know your thoughts as well through those channels 
That's it from me. I'll see you next time.